one was, you will see your Lord a-coming. Wow, there we go. <laughs> you will see your Lord a-coming, which was James White's, uh, kind of his, his song. He would, he would beat his hymnal and he'd come up the aisle. And he, that, was his, that was his theme song. You'll see the Lord a-coming in a few more days. My theme song is in the sweet by and by, if I was going to take that. The reason for that is, is that when I grew up, Grew up in a military family, and we moved a lot, and so we didn't have a lot of churches. But there was one place that we seemed to always gravitate back to, and that was Big Spring, Texas. And it had ten members. It was a church of ten members. That was basically it. And, uh, and I was a little guy, just like all these guys. That's how small I was. I, I was born in Big Spring, Texas, and I spent uh, probably total ten years of my life in Big Spring, Texas. That's not Big Spring, Texas. And, uh, and, and that, little, that little church, we were really limited on research. I don't think, out of all the years I was there, I never ever remember a pastor coming and preaching there. We never had a pastor come to that church. I don't even know if there was a pastor. Uh, it, had, it had a church building. It was a little tiny uh, building. And, uh, and it wasn't very big. And, and, and ten members were there. And we were the youngest in that. And we were the only ones in Sabbath school. There, we had a lady who was dedicated to putting us in Sabbath school, my brother and I, and she was, she was probably in her 80s or 90s, and she would, she would put uh, us in Sabbath school class and make that happen. But they only knew one song at this church. The pianist only knew one song. And I still remember as a little guy walking around, I do remember her playing this song, and, and she was a dear sister that was as big as the piano bench. I mean, she filled the whole piano bench. And the, and the piano was up against the wall like this, so her back was to the, to the congregation. And every week, we sang in the suite by and by. And what I loved about it, the reason, reason I noticed that was because when she got to the by and by, that's exactly how she played her piano. I thought that was so cool that she was just like in the suite, bye and bye. I mean, that, that's how she just kind of shook the piano when she did that. And, uh, and so it was, it was good to be able to, to make, that, make that happen. And so I have fond memories of being in the suite, by and by, and being there and worshiping with one another. And there's a, there's a uh, in that, as a little guy, and my dad usually did the sermons, but he didn't preach. He basically read. George Vandeman used to write a book, and it was his sermons. And so I've heard all of George Vandeman's sermons through my dad, literally reading them for our sermon. That's what he did every Sabbath. Nobody else would do that. So we heard, we heard George Vandeman every Sabbath and his sermons. And there's something about just the simplicity of being together. The reason I mention that is because that building's long gone. I don't know that that church is even there anymore. And that's why I'm saying buildings are temporary. The, the structures that we sometimes hold a lot of weight and meaning in are temporary. Regardless of how we do it, you know, he says, I'm going to shake the earth. I'm going to shake the nations. I'm going to shake everything. But what happens in those temporary structures is eternal. I'm never, I mean, I'm not even any place close to Big Spring, Texas, but I still have the sweet by and by in my heart. And I'm going to carry the sweet by and by in my heart clear to eternity and into heaven. I'm going to look for that dear sister and I'm going to ask her, can you play me in the sweet by and by? So, So that aspect of us getting together is an eternal thing. And there's something about that that God is serious about. He loves this. He loves the fact that we can be together. We can, we can do these things together. And, and he starts out very early. See, I, see, a lot of times I think, well, it's maybe because I'm talented that God wants to hang out with me. Maybe it's because I'm a good person God wants to hang out with me. Or, or maybe because I work hard God wants to hang out with me. Or, or I, I think of all these kind of things. And, or I think that if I do those kind of things, then maybe God will want to hang out with me. But actually, 
God wants to hang out with me even before, even before I have any of that. There, there, and he makes a declaration, he makes a promise, which I have to tell you as we were building this building, I needed to be reminded of many times. Just because in the process, it's shaky, it's scary. Going through life and trying to make decisions for groups of people and, and hoping that you know, you're making the right decision and you're not quite sure. But there is, there is a declaration that God makes. It's a promise that God makes. And he does it very early on. I didn't even, even you know, and I looked at this, and as I was thinking about what to, what to preach about, and I, and I mentioned about miracles, and I, and I think miracles did take place, but then Cedric questioned me on miracles. Because he said, well, you know, it didn't, it di- it didn't just happen. See, we, we kind of think, well, a miracle was one day no building, next day building. Now, that would be a miracle. That's true. And I still think it was a miracle. I have to tell you that. My personal opinion, this building is a miracle. I, have, I started out ministry here in 92. I started out here as an intern. 92, 93, somewhere in there. I think it was kind of in the transition. I started out as an intern here. I haven't left. I'm still an intern. I remember the day when we, the only music we had was Ed and his accordion. And we'd, he, we, we played hymns with an accordion. Sweet by and by with an accordion. And seminary never really prepared me for that, but it was a beautiful thing. It's something that, you know, seminary, they kind of they prepare you for, the, you're going to pastor the big church, multi-staff. The mega church, that's, that's when you arrive. And if you're faithful enough, you won't have to stay in a small church. And you know what my, my desire is? I want to go back to a small church, and I want to hear it in the sweet by and by. I want, I want to hear a George Vanneman sermon read from a book. I want to hear the simplicity of the gospel. I want to hear Jesus make a declaration to me, a very simple declaration. That God is, is consistently giving to his people. And he does it very early on in Genesis. It's in Genesis chapter 26. It is the phrase which we will all want to carry with us. It is the phrase in which I myself was reminded of as I looked at the miracles that took place here. It's Genesis chapter 26. Let me get it here again. I think it was 24. I know the phrase. I don't want to jump the gun. I don't want you to think that I'm just making this up. It's actually 2624. If you read it there, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said this. I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear. For I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. He said the same thing to Abraham. He said, do not fear. I am with you. See, there's something about that, isn't it? It's a simplistic phrase. It's just a small thing, and and it's at God's own discretion that he does this. I mean, he makes the initiative. He's the one that comes and says, I am with you. He doesn't say, well, I might be with you if you act upright and you get your act together. Or if you work hard or if you strive to do everything. No, I am with you. I, I want to be with you. Do not fear. And to me, that's what church is all about. Church is us coming together with God and hearing him say, do not be afraid, I am with you. It is his promise. It is his covenant. It is his contract with us. And how easy it is for us to forget. Matter of fact, as I was thinking about this this building, we talked a lot. I mean, we had a lot of discussion. Matter of fact, 
I don't even know for sure the early on discussion of this 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 meeting. I know we had we had about fifty thousand dollars in in the bank to kind of seed money to get started. And we thought well, that's gonna, that's all it's going that's that'll do it right there. We thought that's gonna wow we got a lot of money. And then what happened was is the neighbors took us to court. And they said, you can't have a building here. We got us a a special land use lawyer. I mean, big. I don't even know how we got this guy. Big time. He's like a Walmart land use lawyer. He even even had the judge in Lane County shaking in his knees. The judge even told him at the hearing, he said, now I know you think you're a big shot lawyer, which he was. But we do things differently in Lane County. And the, the lawyer, he just stood there and said, he just said, I, I, I respect you, your, your honor. This is what we're trying to do. And when we all got said and done and everything was done, we came up with an agreement and the county and everybody said, and, you know, but we thought right then we were dead in the water. We thought at that moment it was a done deal. And unfortunately, when we're talking about dollars and stuff, that Walmart lawyer cost us a lot of money. And we were back to square one again. Now we got the approval, but now we're like, well, what happened to this concept that we got it down, we got it, we got it together. But you need to, be, to remember, I am with you. Because, you know, when you look at the whole thing and you, and you think about it, you know, the question is, we're, we're Adventists, and we're, we're thinking time is short, and we know time is short, and we ask ourselves, you know, is, is, it, is it worth it to, put it to put together a building to make this happen, to, to put resources into this kind of thing? Is, is that really what we want to do? And that's the question that we kept, kept coming up with is, you know, I, and, and I have to admit, I can't say, well, I'm right there all the way through. I'm, I'm thinking maybe there is some wisdom to that kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't. In my own personal feeling, I'm, I'm back in a corner again thinking that maybe, maybe we aren't doing the right thing. I want to make sure we're doing the right thing. I want to make sure that, that we're, we're following the mission and the ministry. And, and I had many of those times where after we were all done, I was thinking, it's done. It's over. It stopped. That's why I call it a miracle. Because somewhere in the background, when God is with you, there are no such thing as obstacles. See, the thing is, we let all... We, the unfortunate thing about this is, and, I, and, I, and I, I think about this quite often. God says, I have unlimited resources. He tells Abraham, he tells Jacob, I am with you, and I'm going to multiply you, and I'm going to bless you. See, I think sometimes we look at it and say, I am with you, but you're going to have to really work hard. Life is going to be tough for you. You're going you're gonna to really, you're going to experience some real sacrifice, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be... But he doesn't say that. He says, I am with you. I will multiply you, and I will bless you. That's his promise. I mean, God is almost filled with goodness, and his goodness kind of seems to overflow. And yet we live as Christians as if, as if the supply of love is about to go out. We live our Christian life as if, as if God is going to be real sparing to me with love or God's going to be real sparing to me. But all that seems to all that matters is for the Christian, all that matters for us is that He is with us. That's all that matters. He has unlimited resource, He has unlimited love. You're in the right place when He is with you. But we got to another hurdle, and that's why when I read, I came to Isaiah 41. Isaiah, you know, and and what's interesting is all all these books are in the Old Testament where we think the Old Testament really doesn't have much to share for us. Isaiah 41, another one of those, one of those components that, that we play into that that God says you're assured of my help you're assured of my help Isaiah 41 verse 10 fear not for i am with you be not dismayed 
for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so it's true. It took a lot of hands to make this building, put it together. But the one hand that mattered was the right hand of God. He says, I'll hold you up with my right hand. I am with you. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. I will hold you up with my right hand. And how many times I needed to hear that text. See, that's why I love this building. Because that building taught me how to trust in God. And to trust in the command and the promise that he gave that says, I am with you. See, that's, I, whenever you hear that negative voice in the back of your mind that says, well, God doesn't like you and God isn't with you and God doesn't want to follow you, then tell that voice to be quiet. Tell that voice that, no, there's a better message out there because I have a promise from God himself. This is not something that was made up. And this isn't just ha- something that happens once in a while. It is all through the Bible. God constantly repeating this promise. So you can hold on to these, vo- these words. You can hold on to this subject. You can hold on to it with so, mu- so much might that you can kick out all those negative comments and basically says, you know what that matters is he is with me. He's on my side. He, 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 he even says, come on, you guys, remember when I was growing up, I was kind of a nerdy kind of looking kid. My dad, I, I grew so fast that my dad didn't believe in buying pants for me. I don't know if you know what that means. I was one of these guys, real, real skinny, boom, shot up fast. But most of the time what that meant was is that my, my pants were always kind of up here. So, so I'd wear my pants up here and you see the socks. I got picked on a lot. Got a, I, I got beat up a lot in school. I was in public school most of the time and, uh, and so got beat up a lot. And I got picked on. And so, you know, in, when I was growing up in school, they would have everybody line up. You know, when they're going to do a game or something? They'd have everybody line up, and then they would say, okay, you pick your team. See, nowadays we're more sophisticated. We don't do that anymore. We've eliminated all that kind of stuff, I hope. I'm not sure. But I know it was real because I was always the last guy. It was almost like I'm standing. Everybody else is taken. Everybody else is on teams. But now the two guys that are chosen to pick, they're like, well, I don't want him. I mean, literally, I I was like, I'm sitting there, what do you mean you don't want me? And that's a hard thing to deal with. And I, and, I, and I had that so many times. Well, he's the weird kid. You know, he, we don't want him on our team. We'll lose if he's on our team. But you know about God is he doesn't do that. He picks you first. He doesn't say why I can't have you on my team. He says, I am with you. That's the greatest phrase we can have. And to me, that's what this building represents is the fact that God basically makes a declaration. So then we thought to ourselves, well, would, would, we, would we need another building? And we kind of got to the point where, I mean, there's all kinds of stages in which it almost seemed like it was done, it was over with, and, 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 and yet, even as we were looking at it, we were like, well, when's it going to come, and when's it going to happen? But we got to a real low point, almost to the point where I thought it was a done deal, and, and I... And I I, I didn't even think, well, maybe, maybe you know, God isn't interested in buildings. Maybe it's temporary like what we're saying. And I remember, and that's why I picked Haggai. Now, Haggai is about the temple, how people basically had not paid attention to the temple. And, and, and they had built their houses and they'd done all their stuff and they didn't even pay any attention to God. And the reason I brought the, up the text, because that's the text that came to my mind when I was at my lowest point in relationship to this building. I was almost at a point where I was agreeing. I was saying, yep, I, I don't know. We, you know, it's, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of effort. Maybe, maybe, maybe we, we need to just kind of back away and just keep where we're at. And it was Haggai that came to it. Now, Haggai basically says that any building we build to honor him He approves of. He knows that it's temporary. He knows all this stuff, you know. But to him, that isn't what matters. What matters to him is that there's a group of people 
who want to tell others about Jesus. And that's how I vision this building. I vision this building. I mean, even from 1993 when I came here, I looked around and people said, well, you can't do anything in Fall Creek. I mean, that's just out there on a creek out in the middle of nowhere. And I knew that there was something special about Fall Creek. Even as an intern. And we went, we went through a lot of stuff during that time too. But I still knew that this was, this was a great place. And I said... I, I even from then I, I thought envisioned my mind and I went away for a while and came back and I still envisioned in my mind that we had a place here in which people would want to come and have an opportunity to have mission and goodness take place. A, a, a unique building, a, a place where, where the community could come and feel comfortable, not be worried about all the all the all the things that come with with, with relationship to to maybe a, a sanctuary or a temple, but they could come and they could they could spread goodness and and they could they could experience goodness and they could experience mission. And when I was at my lowest point and I saw the book of Haggai, I knew at that moment, he says, I can shake the nations. I will shake the nations. But he says, one thing you want to know is I am with you. I am with you. Do you want me to be with you? And then I said, yes, I do. I want you to be with us. And there was something about it. That was the text. All of a sudden, it, 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 I had no more after that. I had no more doubt. I had complete confidence. I no longer worried about what was going to take place in terms of cost and temporary and how it was going to be used. I just knew at that moment. I mean, it's almost as clear as I'm talking to you right now. When that, when that moment happened and I saw the book of Haggai and I read Haggai and I saw it, I said, yes, that is it. I mean, people build great buildings for other things to prove you know, that, they're, that they're great or whatever. Why not have a building that basically says you need to know about God? You need to know Jesus. You need to know that he's chosen you for his team. I am with you. To me, that's the greatest line. And it's, such a, it's not complicated. It is his declaration that basically says that. And so now, even to be here on this day, it says, take courage. Take courage. Because I am with you. That phrase alone allows us to have the opportunity that I know the building is temporary. But I also know that what happens in this building is eternal. It's because of all of you that are sitting here that we have eternal realities. And I have seen God work every step of the way, reminding me, this, this pastor, remind me. He says, I want you to know, I am with you. And that is something that we can hold on to. And so I think at this time, we are going to have an opportunity. You know what's strange about this whole thing? I really didn't do much to help build this building. I just want you to know. I mean, I, I, I really feel like, I, you know, I was here, I was leading, I was doing what I could do, but it kind of happened around me. It really did. It happened around me in such a way that it's kind of funny because whenever I go to the conference office or something now, they go, what are you guys doing down there in Fall Creek? They're, 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 they're kind of confused that things are actually happening in Fall Creek. Yeah, I mean, the, the, when they tell me, well, nothing's going to happen in Fall Creek, well, what's happening down there in Fall Creek? You know, every time they see me at the conference, they're always kind of shaking, you know, scratching their head, trying to figure out. And I tell you, it's because of God leading that things happen in Fall Creek. And they can happen anywhere because that's his desire. His desire is to show his love for us. So, Cedric, did you have, uh, um, was it Cedric next? I don't know for sure in terms of we're going we're gonna to try and burn something here. That ought to be interesting. Hope you guys are ready because, you know, you're into fire, right? We're going to burn something here.
have some technical help here. Let's get this down by my about. Okay, I guess we're sort of making the uh, service up on the fly as we go, but my understanding is that from this point on, we will have a 10-minute history of how we got here, and then we will have some testimonies from you, and then we will have a ceremonial burning of a copy of the paid note. Now, I know some of you have plans that you have places to be, so if you need to slip out the back door, that's okay. Uh, but uh, let the program proceed. Now, the pastor told you that uh, his text was from Haggai. My text was from Nehemiah. Nehemiah 3 says, let us build the wall, and the people built the wall. I want to tell you in 10 minutes uh, how a lot of people working together, brought us to this place, this little place in the country that has no clear geographical reason to be here. There's no real reason for this church to be here. But a lot of people that seemingly are not connected over 250 years brought us to sit here in this place at this time. And what I'm saying is, Directly or indirectly, everybody is in connected, and God has a plan. I want to start in 1782 with the birth of William Miller, 1782. Twenty-two years later, President Thomas Jefferson sent Captain Lewis and Captain Clark to find a route from the Mississippi to the Oregon Territory, and they did. For the next 20 years, commercial people, trappers, mountain men followed the route that Lewis and Clark had made to the Oregon Territory. Also in 1820, something spectacular happened in the Northeast and around the world called the Second Great Awakening. There was a great spiritual revival, and the churches became very active and began to evangelize extensively, saying that the Lord was coming. The Methodist Church was included in that reawakening. And at that time, during that time, in 1827, Ellen Gould Harmon was born, another name that affects the reason we are here today. Ten years after that, two women crossed the plains, the first immigrant women to cross the plains, Narcissa Whitman and Eliza Spaulding. They were Methodist missionaries. With Dr. Whitman, they established the Whitman Mission close to Walla Walla University and evangelized the Indians for 10 years until the Indians massacred them, the Whitman Massacre. At that same year, the first wagon train to cross the plains, the covered wagons were coming on the Oregon Trail. In 1836, the first covered wagon train arrived, and about that time, Ellen White, as a 14-year-old teenager, was baptized as a Methodist. Then she became a Millerite. Then she became a Seventh-day Adventist. She had a connection with William Miller. Two years later was the Great Disappointment in 1844. <clears throat> and at that time, in 1847, is when the Whitman Massacre happened. Six years after that, in 1853, my family arrived here. The Belshaw Wagon Train crossed the plains, crossed the Oregon Trail, and came in with my ancestors in 1853. <clears throat> Ten years after that, the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists was organized in Battle Springs, Michigan. There were 20 delegates organizing the General Conference. We have twice that many, three times that many people sitting here today. How is that possible? Now, that's the national history. Let's go to the local history. What happened here? How do we get here on this little backwater place? Well... <clears throat> In 1870, the Methodists starting meeting down the road at the Fall Creek School. They built Methodist churches all over this area. And as you drive around, you'll see little white chapels all built on the same scale as our sanctuary. They're here in Unity. They're in Cloverdale. They're in Wendling. And uh, you can see them. Also that same year, Laurelwood Academy established itself in Gaston, Oregon. 
and the Unity Methodist Church was built right here where we worship in our sanctuary. It was on the main road. That road out there was the main road, and all the traffic went on that road, and that's why the church was built there. There was a bridge over there. The bridge washed out. The Leslie Bridge washed out, and the traffic stopped, and the church started to decrease, and then they built the Unity Covered Bridge up there, and all the traffic went through the covered bridge. Nobody came down this way. You couldn't. There wasn't any bridge, but this little church sat here almost covered with brambles and brush for many years. In 1954, the Methodists got tired of using outhouses and they built the annex with flush toilets. It was a big improvement. But they couldn't hold on out here in the backwoods without a road. In 1973, they sold the campus, the two buildings, to James Weemers, who was the farmer over there. And he said, well, I'll store hay in that white building. That'll be a good place to put my hay. That same month... Two families said, let's start a church in Fall Creek. And they saw that little white church, and they rented it from the farmer. And within a week, two other families joined them. And I want to tell you their names. I'm not going to use a lot of names because I leave out important names, but I want to tell you a few. They were Phil and Anita Schultz, Maxine and Ray Henry, Bill and Patty Rouse, Marilyn and Cedric Hayden. They were teachers and dentists. In a month later, in May that year, a fellowship was formed with 27 members, and you know who you are. They rented the sanctuary. The conference president said, that's so out of the way. Why don't you just abandon that and do the right thing? Don't, don't waste your talent out there. Ten months later, a company was chartered with 35 charter members. That was in 1974. And over the next 25 years, we had a series of interns, usually for about one year at a time. They would come out of a seminary. They would come here. They would preach for one year, practice their trade, and move on. And I'm still here. he's still here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He was one of our interns. In 1974, the group engaged Elmer Caranco to do evangelistic series here. In 1974, Grandpa Harvey Jenks was married in the sanctuary to Truett Boffman, and 150 people crowded into that little building. Other than the outdoor church, that's the biggest, biggest event we've ever had here. So the company purchased the building from Weimars. It was an enormous expense. It was $35,000. $35, for two buildings and six acres. And we didn't know how we could afford that, so we took out a loan. And 15 years later, we paid it off. Four years after we started, we organized as a church with 72 members. Then the recession came in 1980. We had no hot water. We had no telephone. We couldn't pay a janitor, so we all did the work ourselves. But somehow, in 1980, we added the foyer to the sanctuary, and in 1989, we burned the mortgage for the campus. We owned it, debt-free, free and clear. In 1993, a fellow named David McCoy was our ministerial intern for one year. We had 16 interns over 25 years, and they were a joy and a pleasure to work with. In 2000, Marilyn and my son had a son. Marilyn and, my had a, Marilyn and I had a son named Chris Hayden who was our head deacon at that time. And there were lots of brambles and blackberries and yellow jackets out there. And we told Chris, uh, get that cleared up, head deacon. And so he hired a, a contractor to clear it. And the contractor unfortunately cleared a quarter of an acre that didn't belong to us. And the man sued us for $172,793 for timber trespass. Well, he event we eventually gave him about $2,000 to help him with the survey. And that went away. In 2003, Lorewood Adventist Academy was active at this church. They had a lot of students. They had their classes in the annex. And we had not much room. And we said, what are we going to do? Well, we had $1,049.33 in our building fund. So we said, well, let's build a church. In 2005, we had a centennial. Uh, the sanctuary had been here for 100 years. 
We had a centennial. We invited the Methodists. About 30 of them showed up. Isn't that right, Gil? I think about 30 Methodists, our ancestors Methodists, showed up, and it was a wonderful occasion. We rang the bell 100 times. We asked all the neighbors first, we're going to ring the bell 100 times. Is that okay? And they said, it's a sweet, sweet sound. Do it. So we did it. Over the years, we've had dozens of baptisms, hundreds of members as they churned in and out, lived, died, transferred in, transferred out, thousands of visitors. In, on May 17th, 2005, there was an historic board meeting. There was a church board discussion on need for more space to accommodate the Lorawood Adventist Academy members, uh, students. Though, I'm going to read those names for that historic board meeting. Harold Jenks, Doris Barber, Steve Henton, George Waldrip, David McCoy, Marilyn and Cedric Hayden, and a couple of others no longer with us. Well, we had $10,631 in the building fund, so we said, Nehemiah 3, let's build. And then a member donated $50,000, and we said, we're good, let's go. So we discussed what we would do. What shall we do? What kind of space shall we add? Should we have a new church? Should we move the church? Should we tear down the annex to make more room? Should we extend the church to the south? Should we build a steel building? That's cheap. Or should we build a gymnasium where we can play basketball? We did a survey asking the members what to do. do. And the majority said, build a new church. Leave the sanctuary alone. So Randy Meyer did a computer draft. They call it a CAD scan or something. You did a computer draft, uh, C-A-D. And then uh, Ronna Hayden, who was a professional interior designer, looked at those designs and did another design. And... We decided to move ahead with plans. Oh, Harold Jenks hired uh, uh, Zinc, a guy named Zinc, also to do some plans for us. In 2010, uh, the neighbors appealed our right to build. They said, it would be an ugly building. It's so high. It's going to be so big. It's going to scare our cows. We can't have that terrible building here. Uh, All sorts of reasons why it's wrong. So as Pastor told you, Uh, The conference gave us a referral. We hired an attorney, $30,000 of our $50,000 down the drain, but we got our permit. So we applied for our building permit, and on July 23, 2011, we had the groundbreaking ceremony. We built it in stages as we had the money. We dug the hole, stage one. We put in the, the, the platform, stage two, put up the walls, stage three. As we had the money... And we thousands of hours of volunteer help. In 2012, we got a loan from the North Pacific Union Revolving Fund for $267,300. And that was enough to finish the building. Uh, We engaged Cedric Ross Hayden and his statewide contract service to build the building. Uh, As you saw, they built the roof on the ground because the workers were afraid to work 30 feet in the air. They built it on the ground. Crane put it over your head where it is today. So contractor Hayden brought the building in under budget and actually under cost. Um, On November 30, 2013, this building opened with a temporary special use permit, and Randy arranged for the Weimar Quartet to perform. On 2014, we got our final permanent certificate of occupancy with some caveats. There's still some things we can't do here. Uh, because of the county judge, a nine-year project. And we had that year the grand opening. And last month, 2017, the treasurer, Harold Jenks, paid off the loan. We're debt-free, six-acre campus, beautiful buildings. And that's why we're here today. And a lot of people, including Ellen White and Thomas Jefferson and David McCoy, And Harold Jenks and a lot of you participated in that. What are the next steps? Never stops. We're going to have a playground out there where our kids can play. It's going to be right out there. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, We're going to probably pave the parking lot and pave the sidewalks. We're going to purchase the creek frontage over there so we can have baptisms in the creek in the summer. And there you are. Thank you all. God bless you.
little bit of work there. Not as much work as it was putting all this together, but God led in all of that. And now we're going to have a time for testimonials. I'm going to share a few things beforehand, and then I'm going to put Joanne on the spot. Joanne doesn't know that I'm going to put her on the spot, but this just came to my mind. I want you to share about the neighbor across the street there in just a few minutes, give you a few seconds. And if we can have a roaming mic uh, for the people, that'll be great. Um, Cedric just shared this uh, history. Um, Sometimes we don't realize the importance of history. History is a vital piece in relation to this. There isn't uh, probably a month that goes by that we don't get a question on our Facebook page about the old sanctuary, about the annex, about this event center. I had a lady just last night about 10 o'clock send me a message on our Facebook page saying, did the old Warren School used to be here on this campus? And she asked what year it was built. And so it was a testimony to her of her grandmother and her grandmother going to a one-room classroom just like on Little House on the Prairie. And so history plays a witness in our community in relation to things that we don't always think about. A simple thing like that is uh, a huge thing. And then there were really three guys that put this all together who were on, on, on the team. I was hoping Paul would be here. Cedric and Paul did a lot in relation to the foundation work. But there was a man named uh, uh, Don Hebert, his son Jeremy, and then Keith Posh. Those were the three men that you saw throughout this picture here who were up there. I remember when it was raining in here. You see that one picture from the front here facing out? It was raining rain. You, you always wonder, how can a building survive being rained on like that for all that time and still be beautiful? This beam back here had mildew on it, I remember, and it was black. And yet, look at it now. It's a shiny representation. To me, that's sort of a miracle type of thing, too. And then, you know, when we came out here, we were going to have a prayer out here for the foundation. And, you know, Satan works in a lot of ways. The neighbor over there got out on a megaphone and said, what are you doing? You're making too much noise around here. Please stop that. And they would get out on any time we came walking out here or doing something, they would get on their megaphone. And now... I'm going to ask Joanne to share the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. So I don't know the rest of the story as well as Randy thinks I do, but she said on the megaphone, you, you people are the most selfish people I ever heard of. And she said, you're blocking our view. She just had a lot to say and was really angry. Um, and Stacy Danilik and another person, but I don't remember who went over and talked to her right then. And then I talked to her later. She became such a friend, and she said that if she ever went to church, this would be her church. (laughs) And she learned to love us. Two ladies. They became real nice friends. Stacy used to go up to the dam and take walks with her. Anyway... And somebody else, but I don't remember who. So it might be somebody here. It it was many people who were friendly to those neighbors to show them Christ's love in spite of the fact. It's a little intimidating to have someone on a megaphone yelling at you, but people step forward. And to me, that's quite a gift from God, a spiritual gift to be able to reach out to those neighbors, even under those... Uh, types of situations. Anyone else have a testimony at this time about the building or about what's happened thus far in relation to it that you want to share? Yes, Leroy. We have another neighbor just right across the road here from us. We thought we should, they were moved in and uh, we got to talking, just just ordinary, common talk. And he, they said, uh, well, we have God right across the road from us. And we were able to invite them. They haven't, they haven't come yet, but um, they, they have a soft spot in their heart for us. Amen. Amen. 
Other people have shared, you know, when they hear that bell ringing, it reminds them and they, they think about God when our bell rings every Sabbath. So there's a testimony ringing throughout the hills of Fall Creek every time that we meet here. And uh, anyone else have a, have a testimony or want to share something about it? We've had many wonderful events here. A couple sitting in the back row there who were married in this church and then came over here for their reception. Um, so we've had lots of exciting events. I still remember the first time we came here into this building. We met without carpet. You remember that? We came and we met without carpet. Romero organized the first um, musical concert here just before Thanksgiving. What was that? 2013. And you think that's only five years ago, not even five years ago. And we met here, no carpet, no nothing. Um, We had the benches in here then. And we met with the uh, here and had the concert. It was a wonderful concert. In fact, uh, the um, what? No sound system. It was all acapella, pretty much. And we had uh, Erwin from Weimar, a German um, accomplished pianist, uh, talked about how good the acoustics were here. That we should never put carpet in here. <laughs> But things go on, don't they? And they move on. And, you know, we've all had to be a little flexible in relation to the process. We've all had to learn this place is all of ours. It's not even all of ours. It's God's. And God is the one who brings us together through all the difficult times, through all the difficulties. Anyone else have a testimony? Yes, Linda. I know Dave mentioned in his sermon how special small churches are. And I just want to say, for our children, when we were here doing our internship, Melissa was just a baby. And uh, Luke was probably 8, and Matthew was probably 10, 11, somewhere in there. But they really enjoyed this church family. George's mom, I think, helped teach Sabbath school. They were pretty much the only kids and some of the grandkids some of their grandkids, and then Llewellyn, did I get your name right? Okay, great. <laughs> I have senior moments sometimes. I'm really bad with names, so. but um, they, they would do Sabbath school for our kids, and they made sure anytime we were there that they did Sabbath school. So this small church community means a lot to everybody, and the other special thing that the kids always got to do, it was after church. They would ring the bell after church. And I think it's so awesome that now you're ringing the bell before church starts instead of celebrating after it starts. Because it was just a fun memory for the kids. And um, that will go on in their hearts forevermore. And so just keep doing what you're doing and praising God and letting the kids enjoy the life that they have here and learning to love God through you. Amen. You know, it, it sort of evolved like that. This became the children's center, didn't it, Sandy? Uh, you know, we talked about it, and all these rooms got filled up pretty quickly, and we soon learned, well, we didn't really expand that much, did we? We we thought, wow, all the rooms are filled. Uh, sometimes the adults got jealous, wanted to come over here, and it filled up, uh, you know, and I'm going to start sal- salivating here, sorry, but uh, Julie's uh, smoothies, I've had a couple of her smoothies. I don't know if any of you have come over here or snuck over here during Sabbath school and had a smoothie or not, but um, they're good. And so this became a family center, a place where people could come, enjoy running around, talking, doing what they wanted to do. It became a family place. And that's what it is today and will continue to be until Jesus comes. Is there any other testimonies before we close? Yes. Hey. I'm Gil Humphrey, and I grew up just just across the creek here many years ago. <laughs> but uh, my family uh, ancestors came over in 1853 also on the lost wagon train. 
but uh, I remember as a young child going to this church once in a while, and um, before the vestibule porch was added, uh, my dad had to dig into the walls and remove some honeybees out of there one time because they were getting to be a problem. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, it's been really nice. I've we became Adventists years later, you know, after I but I first went to the Methodist church here. Oh, I, I just have one little comment to make, and that is, we didn't see how this could possibly be paid for. We put in our little offerings and just hoped, and here it is. Amen. One other person back there in the back. Well, if I told you all my memories here, we'd be here a little too long. <laughs> um First, I have to start with a confession. We had a split household over the building of this church. <laughs> our, our oldest, Aubrey, was at home, and Aubrey and I were staunchly stuck on the old sanctuary and said was pushing forward to a new building, and we had a lot of discussions over the supper table that weren't very happy. <laughs> um, we got married here. I was born here. Lot. There's a lot. Um, but this building in particular, my sweetest memory was, uh, when Callie got diagnosed with Williams syndrome and we were struggling with it, Pastor McCoy met us here and we quietly had our dedication with just us and we weren't ready to do that publicly. And it was, um, it was really special. It was nothing. The lights weren't in nothing else. It was just a, it was just a skeleton of a building. And, um, I should have known then it was going to be a special place. (laughs) The roof wasn't even on yet. I remember that, Julia. And it was right about in this area, right here. So child dedications were taking place before there was even a roof here, before it was even really more than a foundation. Any other closing comments before we move to the burning ceremony? (laughs) Real quick, I would just like to read the text that I have for today, and it's Hebrews 11, verse 10. And it's talking about Abraham. Abraham pretty much went and lived in tents. But this is what Abraham said in relation to his hopes. And I hope this is each of our hopes, that this is just one step along our way. And it says, for he waited, speaking of Abraham, for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We look forward to that day. Okay, at this time, I think... uh, Cedric, George, the pastor, the pastor, (laughs) are going to burn this. Since it was paid for on um, December 14th, 2017. And so they are going to burn it. Uh, There was a, the thing to burn it was on this table. Somebody took it off of there. So if anyone has a uh, lighter, you're more than welcome to. Is it? Okay. Where is it? Do you know where it's at? Uh, Can somebody from the audience who knows where it is show us? Because we left it on the table there, so it'd be ready. Probably not a good idea with kids. Uh, we got four men in the kitchen. I don't know if that's such a good idea. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. You guys can decide who's going to light the fire, who's going to hold it, and make for sure it goes in that tub. Are you sure you don't want to move outside for this? <laughs> and as soon as we complete that, then we will have our closing hymn. 
basically say we can move ahead and we see how God has led us, how he's cooperated with us in order to make a great thing happen. And so that's, that's a great, you don't know how good a feeling this is. We never, ever thought that God would lead in that way. And so we're going to sing a song, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Hymn number 73. Hymn 73. say keep uh, keep Norm and Sherry in your prayers. Uh, Norm was kind of the, the one that basically uh, kind of challenged me you know, to, to say, do we really want to do this? And he was willing to make that happen. His family's been a big part of that. As we as we went, and so it's just uh, good to know that they've been solid in terms of all this. I want to pray for Sherry as she Men's and heels, like Sandy said. I mean, we're, life is fragile, isn't it? It is so fragile. We just we need to be grateful for every moment we have, and that's really what I believe this service was. This was a service of gratefulness, a service of gratitude, and how the Lord has blessed us beyond what we deserve, and we want to thank Him for that. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so very much. Our hearts are filled with gratitude for the way in which you have led. And just the fact that you're willing to be with us. You're willing to choose us for your team. To put us on there without uh, with putting your arm around us and holding us up with your right hand. And so I know many hands helped put this together. Many people weren't even mentioned in the behind the scenes. 
in order to make this work. But the beauty of it is, is your right hand upheld us all. That we have no more, we have no, no need to fear the future because you have made a promise to us that you are with us. And may that declaration be solid in our hearts and solid throughout this community. May the community know that you are a God who accepts and loves and forgives. In Jesus' name.